1: Hello and welcome to a brand new Arseblog ArsCast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Hope all is good with you and yours. Thank you very much indeed for being here as always. We're heading into a weekend where we've got a home game against Fulham. We're sitting top of the table. And while you don't take anything for granted in this league, we saw what Fulham did against Liverpool, for example. You have to look at it, given the way we're playing, as a good chance to get four wins in a row and, and stay top of the table, which is kind of where I would like us to stay, well, basically until May. Sure, it's far-fetched. Yes, there's a long way to go, but God damn it, a man can dream this early in the season. You just you can't take that away from me with all your so-called realism and facts and you know things we're also heading into the uh, final few days of the transfer window the deadline is september 1st at 11 p.m so it could be quite a busy few days not just for arsenal we're hoping that there's going to be uh, an incoming deal maybe two who knows there's talk of uh, wingers and all sorts and uh, some players still have their futures to sort out. But I think it's going to be a bit of a crazy one in general. I think the market is going to be is going to be fairly busy. So between the, the Sky Sports countdown thing, which actually, you know, three weeks ago, I was in a I was in a bar and they had Sky Sports on the television and they were talking about transfers or whatever. Sky Sports News was on and it said countdown today. To transfer deadline, and it was like twenty-seven days, thirteen hours, twelve minutes, and four seconds. Three seconds, two, yeah, 27 days. I mean, come on. There's a point where you should put a uh, you know a countdown on. That seems reasonable. Let's say even a week, but twenty-seven days. Oh, Jesus. Anyway, between them and Fabrizio Romano with his "Here we go" and all the rest of it, it could well be a busy few days. We will, of course, cover that on the website, anything Arsenal-related, of course. And should we bring in a new player, then we will do all the usual bits and pieces in terms of profiles and podcasts and all that stuff. So stay tuned. Right, let's get on with the show today and to talk about the various bits and pieces being taught, transfers and all the rest. First up, Andrew Allen. Hello, Andrew. Good afternoon. And James Benj, hello to you. Hello, thanks for having me on. James, how long did it take for the saliva tequila earworm to get out of your head this week? And why is <laughs> well, it back thank- in it right now? <laughs>
2: yeah, thank you. I was going to say thank you for nothing. It is right back in my head. Um I um immediately, I was staying at my parents and immediately raided the liquor cabinet and um had a couple of margaritas it was a really good Saturday
1: I I did exactly the same thing on Sunday I had an overwhelming urge for tequila slash tequila based drinks and I had to go out on Sunday and have some Mexican food and and have some tequila I think um I think there's an untapped market there Andrew for the Arsenal marketing team to get in there someone actually sent me a um a message. I can't remember where it was. Like I get some like email or direct message on Twitter or Instagram or something, but there is apparently a brand of tequila called Arsenal. Is there? Yeah. So I know that
3: Michael, Silvestre Silvestra makes rum these days. Maybe we could have a word with him and uh, get him to make some tequila instead.
1: Wow. Yeah. Um, maybe I, I'll give that one a, a pass. If you don't <laughs> mind.
3: I could see the tumbleweed there.
1: Yeah. It's, it's actually, I've got it up here. It's tequila com. Um, it's 100% agave. So maybe that's something that the club need to look into very, very rapidly because that that feels like, a you know, an organic sort of, I've just sent you the link there. You can have a look at it. Look at it. Far,
3: tequila. Far Ooh. more responsible than cryptocurrency, right?
1: Well, yeah. At least you get something out of it, even if it is, you know, a blackout and a hangover the next day and possibly the fear. But, you know, at least it's something rather than a, a token.
2: They've got one in blue, though. What's I don't like that. A Chelsea blue, one of the bottles. I uh, mean, what are they thinking?
1: Um, the, the Arsenal away blue in a season where we wore blue away, and it was quite good. I don't know. Like the Patrick Vieira goal at Anfield blue. Maybe that, you know? Oh, yeah. That was a good goal. That was a good goal. Um, James, start to the season, perfect, from a points perspective uh, for Arsenal. Nobody else has got nine points from nine. Um, as always though when you see the discourse online and stuff it's always um, you know there's always something and it's because Arsenal haven't played anyone good yet they haven't they haven't really been tested I take exception to that because I do think Crystal Palace away from home is a pretty stern test and will be a stern test and look we know Leicester and we know uh, Leicester aren't probably where they want to be and maybe aren't as solid as they used to be Bournemouth uh, seeing the championship next year guys Uh, and I'll take that as as um, okay but you know I, I think it's been impressive because, you know, ultimately all you can do is play what's in front of you and beat what's in front of you and many times Arsenal have played teams like this and, and beaten themselves in many ways.
2: And I think also it's about how you beat those those teams in front of you. Look, you know, I, I know we all do enjoy joking about title challenges and, and who knows how much of a joke that will sound in six or seven games time. Um, I think probably still a bit of a joke. But, you know, there's... And I don't think we can say sort of say off the back of three games, a title challenge or anything on. but I think you can kind of infer some stuff about what Arsenal might be able to do across 38 games, across the course of a season, um, in how they've gone about collecting these three points. I completely agree with you that Crystal Palace, that's a tough game. They've obviously shown that against Liverpool mm-hmm. as well, and I'm sure they will show that against other teams. But, but you know, when, when you come to play the the poorer teams in the league. There's a lot to be said for just beating them up, taking their lunch money, winning quite (laughs) convincingly. It's something Arsenal didn't do last season. I know everyone is sort of said on this pod and elsewhere, one of the challenges Arteta had in terms of rotating the squad, giving someone like Enketia minutes early in the season, was that Arsenal were forever 2-1 up and the, the obvious change was, was Rob Holding to, mm. to cling on to the lead. H- hardly seen Hyde nor hair of him because he's not he's not needed. It, it, Arsenal are getting in comfortable positions and that that says a lot because mm. if you're a team that beat Bournemouth 3-0, if you're a team that put four past Leicester, you kind of have to infer from that that you're a team that's capable of of beating a lot of the sort of Premier League middle classes, for want of a better term. And Mm. those teams tend to do quite well. It's why Chelsea finished third last season. I think probably, I haven't looked at the numbers, but my feeling would be it's where Tottenham had an edge in the back ends of last season. And of course, it's basically where Arsenal's top four bid really, when you take a step back and look at it, it fell apart because... They couldn't beat Brighton. They couldn't beat Palace. They couldn't beat Southampton. Maybe they won't be able to beat Brighton anymore because they're a really good team. But if you can kind of, you know, take 12 points from 12 from this run of four games, mm. that's Champions League form.
1: Andrew, the 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 style issue, I think, is a really interesting point because last season there were times where we played some decent stuff. And I think, you know, under Mikel Arteta, the... the I've been waiting for it to go somewhere else because I I always found it hard to think that a, a guy who grew up in Spain, at Barcelona, who played for Arsene Wenger, who worked with Pep Guardiola, didn't want a team that attacked well. You know, I think he's found it hard to build that team. But what we're seeing this season is a step forward in terms of what this team can produce. And I think part of why we feel excited isn't just that we're winning the games or we've won those three games. It's, as James said, how we've won them and the potential, you know, we could have scored more against Bournemouth. We could potentially have scored more against uh, Leicester as well. Uh, Palace, I think, was a a little more of a a challenge because of the way that game went. But there is something about the way this team is playing and how these individuals are connecting and meshing and the kind of football that Arsenal are capable of, which feels more Arsenal, if you like.
3: Yeah, I mean, it took a long time to, to throw off the shackles of the, the horseshoe football, didn't it, where we just sort of played in that big arc around the box and, and, and waited for cutbacks. Now there's a sort of a freedom about the way some of the guys are playing and, you know, you, you look at the, the some of the tippy-tappy football on the edge of the box and it's kind of, you know, it's electric. I mean, it's exactly what we've wanted for a long, long time. Um, it's very exciting. I mean, it's football that you you, you pay to watch and... I think at the moment, I don't know about you, but the, the gap between games feels very, very long at the moment. You know, mm. I'm desperate for the next one. I just want it to, to come. I want, you know, I want that next hit. Obviously, I know that, you know, we're in a, a particularly good moment uh, and and the start of the season has... I still think the start of the season has been friendly. I know it was Crystal Palace away, but, you know, you look at those three teams and you think, I'd I'd want nine points there. In the same way that I looked at you know the start last year and i f- i feared the worst because i i knew that you know brentford might be difficult in those two big games against chelsea and city but we we're, we're, we're in a really good place at the moment i'm really kind of just enjoying the whole vibe you know everything that's kind of filtering down from the from the terraces onto the pitch um it's just the best it's been in a long long time and i just feel like i want to embrace it you know i can be you know <laughs> realistic pessimistic call it what you like and i have been over the over the years but right now i kind of feel like in being optimistic and enjoying it as much as i can that's feeding into the general vibe and i think the players are feeding off that as well so
1: the andrew allen glass is is half full is what you're saying right now R-
3: Right now, yeah, half full of tequila.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That is a dangerously half full glass, I can say that. Um, James, the the point about the games and the gap between the games, you know, I get completely what Andrew is saying because when you have this kind of feeling, you have this momentum, uh, you just want the next one to come around. And to be fair, they're going to start doing that. There's a midweek game coming up as well. Um, And then we're going into the realms of Premier League, Europa League, Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday. And at the moment, Mikel Arteta has a very settled team. Um, You know, a team that's starting games and winning games and playing in a way which means, you know, they deserve to start the next game. But there will come a point where you have to consider how you get the best out of your squad and how you maximize uh, the depth of your squad. So it's quite weird to think that, like, the players that have done so well one or two or maybe three or four might have to sit down for a game and miss out a game i know the europa league uh, gives you a chance to rotate a little bit but how do you see that going for for michael arteta because last season he didn't really have a great deal of depth and so he was picking basically you know the same team the only options were like was it Lacazette like or Enketia up front and then it just became Nketiah because Lacazette like fell out of favor the only other option he had then was Smithrow or Martinelli and everything else kind of picked itself whereas I think this season he has got to be mindful of like making sure that when he is making changes and making sure that when his squad is you know as fresh as it can be for a game every three days or four days whatever it is that these guys are ready to come in and, and perform and and maybe sort of try and prove something to him that, like, if I play well in this game, I want to play the next one.
2: Yeah, it's it's really tough. And I think one of the interesting things is this is probably the first season where we've seen Arteta with... Obviously, we know, we've talked about the sort of profile of the squad, but also just the size of the squad he wants. Um, You know, that first full season, remember, was the one where players weren't being named in the Premier League and Europa League squad. Mm. That's really tough to manage from an interpersonal perspective. But then... You know, the the squad was clearly too small, even for a season out of Europe. At the, at the, in the second half of last season, it's going to be all the more difficult, considering you know. And I know this well as someone that kind of works on the Champions League Europa League uh, bandwagon. This will all be done by early November. Um, it is a a period that can, you know, will radically alter some team seasons because this is going to be tough on the legs, really. maybe even tougher than when we come out of the World Cup, just purely, you know, specifically for Arsenal. By the time this goes out and people listen to it, I suspect we'll have the Europa League draw. I'm assuming that Karabagh will be one of the teams in that group stage. (laughs) There will be somewhere else. Somewhere (laughs) somewhere far
1: away, far away. Yeah,
2: Really, I remember talking to people at Arsenal a few years back that were sort of saying, you know, even compared to the sort of Wednesday-Saturday of Champions League, Normally, you know, if you're doing Wednesday, Saturday, you'd be going to Paris or Barcelona or somewhere else, you know, nearby Western Europe, comfortable getting there, doesn't take too long. But Thursday, Sunday, going to Azerbaijan or going to the back of beyond, it's really tough on the legs. I think the squad looks to me just about them, a little bit short without that extra winger. But it it feels like numbers-wise it can cope at the moment, but we kind of have to remember that Rhys Nelson is the only player with, with any real injury at the moment. It, it's going to be a stretch. I think the numbers are okay to, to keep everyone sort of happy in term, off the pitch, but it, it one or two injuries, mm. this squad looks really different. You can say that about pretty much any Premier League squad, but um, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for Arsenal, that's for
1: sure. We did see Rhys Nelson um, back in training uh, today. I think he's just... Back on the pitch. Yeah. I think he's sort of back working out I mean, do on you think, do you certain- think, do you think, um, his, his level of backness does it still preclude a move away from the club? Because it feels like, along with, let's say, Maitland Niles that he, you know, given his contractual situation, I don't know if they've got the same thing going on with, with Nelson as they do with Maitland-Niles, this extra thing. It is basically his final year. Like, is this not the time to move him on? Like, the injury, it looked like it was going to scupper uh, scupper that, but maybe if it's only a two-week injury from now, you know, there might be a club out there that could take a chance?
2: Kind of from what I was told, it was actually never Nelson's plan to go in in the summer. I think, you know, obviously Arsenal would be looking to collect a fee from him, I think from his perspective, unless the right, you know, if the right club comes along, everything changes. But that right club hadn't kind of emerged when this injury came up. So his view is there will be minutes to be got at Arsenal. We know mm. that Mikel Arteta really likes Reece Nelson as a as a player, even if he hasn't managed to get the best out of him. Um, and I think his view is to just assess his options again in January, where obviously, you know, suddenly he can uh, sign a pre-contract agreement, and the 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 club that's signing him don't have to worry quite as much about a transfer fee. And obviously that's only outside England. Um, That was his plan, you know, use the minutes that were available at Arsenal. I think it now does look like he will get some time, uh, maybe in the Europa League. So probably hasn't changed that much. And I, I don't think there are clubs queuing around the, the block for him, sadly. That might change if he plays well in the Europa League and if mm. they're not having to pay a transfer fee.
1: But yeah, I, I yeah. I think he's being optimistic to be honest about the, yeah. g- the amount of minutes he might get you know even if Nicolas Pepe is is going to go and we'll touch on him in, in a moment but the big transfer story this week is is Pedro Neto from, from Wolves an exciting winger that we've been after for quite some time um, someone dug I think it was Phil Costa dug up a story that we done on Arse News in 2017 when he was at Braga a very exciting player and, and it sort of fits into more or less what you think Mikel Arteta wants he even if he is primarily left-sided, um, he is a, an attacking player. Um, maybe not quite the backup for Bukayo Saka that we might have thought. But um, any thoughts on that deal?
3: Um, one, I mean, obviously we need to we need to find the money to do it. Uh, I think Wolves are going to probably play hardball, especially going into the final week. Mm. Um, as a, as a player, he's really interesting. I, you know, was watching a few videos of him. He kind of reminds me a little bit of mark overmars he's got a kind of roadrunner style he likes to sort of squeeze through gaps that don't appear to be there Mm. i don't know that he necessarily is as clinical in front of goal that as overmars was who you know at times was quite prolific but you know there's there's obviously a sort of element of pace about him um Mm. you know the fact that he he maybe plays a bit on the left i mean he also he plays kind of all over really i mean he's quite versatile i think in that respect and i guess if you've We've seen Vieira maybe playing slightly towards the right side of things. Um, I mean, in that one forty-five minute cameo he had uh, mm. in the under 21s whether or not they're starting to think maybe he could be a bit more right-sided, and maybe in that respect you start to look at someone who might play slightly on the other side. Um, I think it's a. I think it's really interesting. I mean, obviously, you know, we've spent all summer flirting with upgrading something on the wing, and Rafinha was the first target obviously at one point and, and 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 this is where we are now um there's been a couple of other names sort of tentatively mentioned that Jeremy Pino fellow mm. who's what 19 um I saw Fabrizio Romano saying that we were interested in Musa Diaby but that seems a bit kind of like probably out of our reach but I mean it's it's pretty clear that this is a position that Arteta is desperate to to upgrade so I mean let's just see if we if we go all in on it um uh, I just i 'm still sort of scratching my head a little bit about how we how we find the money
1: right we 'll we'll come to that um, yeah. because yeah we, we, we have spent a lot, but look from what Mikel Arteta said after the uh, the game against Bournemouth James, it was quite interesting wasn 't it? like you go to Bournemouth, you turn them mm-hmm. over, you win three nil, you could easily have won four or five nil, probably deserved to win by that kind of margin, and afterwards the manager is talking about more firepower more fun. I mean, and like some might say well that's being it's being a bit greedy but it does speak to <laughs> it does speak to you know what he's really trying to do and i feel like you know because i i reckon and you can give me your thoughts on this yourself we're seeing some things starting to happen in the market like Alexander Isak going to Newcastle this final week of the market i think is going to be a bit mental because Manchester United are going to make moves to to try and counter their terrible start to the season, even if they beat Liverpool on Monday. Similarly, Liverpool have got midfield issues. Yeah, Chelsea, we know, are trying to buy literally everybody that exists. Um, you know, who's ever worn a pair of boots. I think this 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 last part of the market is going to be a bit mad. But from an Arsenal point of view. You know, you look at the squad and you can feel pretty content. You don't, you don't look at it and think, "I'm scared about this or that." You know, there is obviously room for more depth and more quality in pretty much every squad that you think of. And but, you know, I don't have that sense of dread going into games. I feel like we're we're well prepared as a squad going into games. But another signing, whether it's Neto or whether there's another mystery player out there, you know, that Arsenal are keeping under wraps, like Fabio Vieira. Who knows? but it would kind of feel like an icing on the cake signing in a way after the business that we've done between last summer and this summer and where we are now. That even if there are other clubs making moves, and there's always a bit of envy, isn't there? Transfer envy is like, oh, they're buying him. Why, why can't we buy him? We should buy him. You know, all of that goes on. But, but it, it feels to me like they're looking for something just to really cap off what has been a good, uh, a good window so far.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it is that winger position because, or the wide forward, however you kind of want to term it, because I think, especially in this era of five subs, I think they can probably see that that this could be a, a deal that if the right player comes in and he can make an immediate impact, he can maybe swing in a more direct way. He can swing you a few extra points that get you into the Champions League. And look, Arsenal are not, you know, everyone I speak to says, Arsenal are not letting themselves think in that way they did in Unai Emery's reign where it's, God, if we can just get this one player who'll get us into the Champions League and we'll deal with everything then. Mm. But I also think that they're they're sort of cognizant of how close they are and that getting a good squad player, which is what I would think Neto is. I mean, by the way, like anyone that watches Wolves often, I mean, first of all, pity for you because they're a horrible team to watch, but they'll (laughs) tell you that, that Wolves are a... Uh, the, Neto is is the sort of standout attacking player in that team, and and I think would would offer an awful lot of value, though. You know, as Andrew says, that that comes at a price. Yeah, I think there's a a real chance to to take a big leap forward with that one signing, whoever it might be, and you know, value to be to be att- obtained as well as spent. I, I guess the challenge is when you kind of run down that squad and say, how do I fund this purchase? And again, don't want to dive too much into the money, but there's not a huge amount beyond Ainsley Maitland-Niles that's going to earn you a sizable sum. And I mean, Maitland-Niles, you're probably talking, I know that West Ham and Southampton are are in for him, but even then you're not going to get a a huge amount, maybe not more than 10 million for Maitland-Niles. And um, someone does have to pay for this somewhere, Mm. but uh, our our generous overlords have, have clearly seen the error of their ways in recent years and are prepared to bankroll. Arsenal back to the Champions League.
1: Well, whether it's bankroll or bank loan or whatever it might be, <laughs> we, we might we might talk about that in, in a couple of minutes' time. But, um, you know, a player who is making way for the potential arrival of Neto or whoever it might be, Andrew, is, is Nicolas Pepe. And at the time of recording, he hasn't yet completed his move, uh, his loan move to Nice. Uh, but that looks like it is going to go ahead. How do you assess... Nicolas Pepe at at Arsenal is he unfortunate in a way to have come in with that kind of price tag and that level of expectation that comes with that? And like I think everybody has said like he didn't pay for himself, he didn't put the the price on him. Arsenal are the ones who paid that money, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But also maybe unfortunate in that he wasn't the player that Unai Emery wanted because we know Unai Emery wanted Wilfred Zaha. He wasn't a player that Mikel Arteta trusted because even when he finished well in his first season under Mikel Arteta and played a very good part in us winning the FA Cup, um, his form towards the end of that season and he was he was really, really good in the final, it wasn't enough to convince Mikel Arteta that um, you shouldn't bring in Willian from Chelsea, a guy who plays in exactly that position. And then on top of that, Um, the emergence of Pakaio Saka, to me anyway, appears to be, or maybe has been, the greatest impediment to Nicolas Pepe succeeding at Arsenal beyond whatever uh, issues Mikel Arteta has had with him. Like the emergence of Saka meant that Pepe was always going to be riding the bench. So like a conflation of things where, you know, I can see that there are flaws in this player. I can understand why there isn't a great deal of trust, but obviously there's talent there. We've seen some brilliant performances. We've seen some incredible goals. But just wrong club at the wrong time it feels like in many ways
3: yeah and maybe wrong style of football as well when he first came in um you know as i mentioned earlier the horseshoe football didn't really suit a guy who you know has a lot of pace and probably could have been played inside channels and racing onto balls instead he found himself with a lot of defenders in front of him and and while he's got quality to kind of cut in on his left foot it became a little bit of a one-trick Pony, but without the kind of Mares quality at the end of it. Mm. Um, he wasn't; he just wasn't really consistent enough. And I think, you know, with the changeover in the manager, Arteta came in and looked at a guy who I don't think he saw as being capable to impose the pressing game as diligently as he wanted. Um, and ultimately, I think he just felt, yeah, as you said earlier or inferred earlier, that maybe he just didn't trust him. Um, he's a very shy guy, quite introverted. I don't think he's really been able to maybe impose himself um as a personality on the squad. I don't think he's cut come across as a particularly confident guy in the entire time that he's been at the club um and those kind of sort of softer factors can obviously take a toll on the on the on the pitch i mean he's undoubtedly a very very talented guy. He's got incredible feet. He's got a great shot. And I think actually if he goes back to France, there's a there's a fairly high chance if he can find his mojo that he'll do very well for Nice. Um I think it's the right thing to do to get him off the books. Slightly surprised to hear that there won't be any kind of option or anything to buy him. It sounds as though mm. he's just going to be uh as you used in the in, in the blog today, the dry dry <laughs> loan. Mm. Um so we're kind of just kicking the can down the road, aren't we? I mean he's got um a contract till twenty twenty four. I presumably this time next year we'll be back in the same situation.
1: I mean, is the uh, the best case scenario, James, is that Nicholas Pepe has an absolutely brilliant season at Nice? That yeah. you know, we can talk about Arsenal um, finding it difficult to move on players who are you know underperforming or, or perceived as damaged goods or whatever that is, and and there might be something to say for that, but from an Arsenal perspective like I mean we had an option on the Lucas Torreira loan and that didn't work out so sometimes an option is just like it's almost like an enticement for the for the club that you're sending the player on loan to that if he does well and you want to keep him then you have that option there it's it's it seems to be more for that club than the the club who owns the player uh, owns uh, you know in inverted commas in the first place but the best thing it strikes me that in the absence of anyone coming along and giving us money this summer if Pepe has a storming season in France, scores a lot of goals, his stock rises, he's got a year left on his contract. It might be a case that this time next year, while it could easily be another problem, if he's done well, he comes back and there might be clubs out there who say, you know what? We could get him at a relatively knocked down price, we'll, we'll pay actual money for him. <laughs> um, something which I know, uh, and I'm sure Arsenal would be delighted to receive. Um, I would like to think so, but I'm really doubtful
2: that that will happen because you know Lucas Torreira had a barnstorming season in Serie A as you as you said and he was a player that um, Fiorentina really wanted to sign they just would not pay the money because to an extent because clubs think they can lowball Arsenal and this obviously has been a a summer where we've seen quite a bit of Edu saying no we're not you know saying to Fiorentina we're not taking less from you than your than your option and to an extent even if you get less money for Torreira than Fiorentina might have been offering, you kind of have made a little bit of a point, (laughs) a Mm. little bit. Um, And certainly that was their view that like, we're not going to negotiate with you. We already have done that. Um, With Pepe though, I think even if he does have a great season and I've got no reason to doubt he'll do a lot better in League 1, although Nice are are struggling early on in the season. You know, even if he does, he, he comes back with a year on his contract probably with most of the interest coming from France and, and the rest of Europe where there won't be much money still, um, certainly not to, to take on a player on Pepe's wages. And and I just feel like more sacrifices will have to be made. I mean, just picking up on one thing Andrew was was mentioning there about kind of how he's settled in. I do think we, you know, a lot of people on, on social media kind of have said, cut Pepe slack, and I think they're right to. And, but I think one thing that we've maybe forgotten is just how sort of trying... The circumstances around the whole of london and the country were and, and that we forget you know there's this the arsenal specific stuff that he had three coaches in his first three or four months um but also you know i think uh, we kind of need to remember what life has been like for people from abroad living in the united kingdom or you know people from the united kingdom living in france over the last few years cut off from their family i know that you know for But Pepe, that's something he will have felt really strongly. Um, And I think that was really tough. I was just looking back at it. Right before the pandemic started, he he was starting to find form. I think there was like two goals against Newcastle, an assist against Everton. And then he comes back and, you know, the world has changed. And there, there were quite a few moments like that on the pitch as well. You know, finding form right at the end of of that first season in the FA cup final. And then he comes back and as you said, Willian. I think we kind of all forget how tough it is. Uh, and, it, you know, maybe we could have done with seeing Pepe and all or nothing, how tough it is for these young guys away from home, even more so now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I hope it, I hope it goes well for him on a, on a personal level as well. Cause I think these have been three pretty rough years for him.
1: Yeah, I, I, I get that. And I was, you know, I'm, I'm sort of listening to the, um, the audiobook book of, of Carlo Ancelotti's, um, I think it's called Quiet Leadership or whatever, uh, something like that. It's really interesting. He talks in um, quite broad terms about some of the jobs that he's had, but in specific terms about the way he likes to operate and the, the sort of how important it is to build relationships with players and you can only get the best out of them when you build relationships. And I'd be absolutely fascinated to know to what extent Mikel Arteta and Nicolas Pepe have worked together, or tried to do things, or, or uh, you know, at what point it became clear between the two of them, Andrew, that maybe this was, and uh, what's the word I'm looking for? There, there, there was an incompatibility, or whatever. Um, you know, it, it must be very difficult when you realise that the coach or the manager doesn't really have a great deal of faith in you, or you're only being thrown on when you're chasing a game. Um, And when you're thrown on, when you're trying to protect a game and you give away a silly free kick against Aston Villa last season and the coach goes nuts, you know, there is something to the idea that to, to, to actually perform at a good level, you need some measure of trust and faith from your manager, some measure of continuity, some measure of regularity in your football. And some will say, well, that's down to you to, to work hard and get in the team and stay in the team. But just sometimes it's, it's really difficult to do that.
3: Yeah, I think there's definitely a a personality thing there. I mean, you look at someone like a Martin Erdegaard and you go, that looks like a guy who'll get on with uh, Mikel Arteta. You you sometimes look around some of the squad, some of the other players and think, well, that might not be the type of person I would say that he would be a a, a close friend of. I mean, I, I thought it was really interesting when he came back from going back to Pepe, like when he came back from the African Cup of Nations and Arteta made a big song and dance about the fact that he felt the player had come back super motivated, right? You know, it was almost as if he'd had a bit of a reset. He'd gone away. He'd actually had the opportunity to play some football, played well, came back, obviously carried that kind of motivation into training, came off the bench against Wolves, scored a goal, um, played a part in that uh, Lacazette slash own goal winner, and you thought, okay, maybe Nicola Pepe's got an opportunity to kind of play a, a bigger part in the run and running than we, than we thought, like he's done previously. That just did not happen. I mean, that was really an outlier in terms of opportunities for him. Um, and yeah, as you said, I mean, the very rare occasion that he did come on, you, you just sort of constantly felt like he was almost fretting on the pitch that he might do something wrong, that, you know, he just wasn't able to kind of get into the groove again. And you know at that part of the season when everything is so so tense as a manager you just can't afford to to carry people if you think when you put them on that they they might be overthinking things and ultimately you know a combination of those factors led to him just being being benched and i think at that point by the time the summer came round it looked really really difficult for him to kind of mm. rehabilitate things despite you know that teasing flirting tweet that or whatever it was social media message that he sent out at one point um suggesting yeah. that he was kind of ready and motivated. Um it's a shame. I think, you know, as I said before, everybody you know, he's a he's a great player. And I think everybody was very, very excited when he joined. You know, there was a there was a moment there where it really felt like, you know, we're putting a, you know, stake in the ground and saying this is who you know, we're going big here. Mm. We're gonna try and get back into the Champions League. And it just it really hasn't played out that way at all for him.
1: No. Um, yeah, for for all concern, it just is a deal that, that really didn't work apart from, um, you know, perhaps Lille uh, making quite a lot of money on the deal and maybe some other people too. Um, just on the 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 squad in general then and the difficulties that Arsenal have had you reference these James you know being unable to sell players and finding things like the Torreira Fiorentina thing it must be immensely frustrating when you agree a fifteen million euro option and the player does really well and they say that would give you half of that you know that's got to be quite frustrating but. And I think you're right to to an extent, even though Arsenal got less from Galatasaray, they couldn't just sort of cave into Fiorentina because I think the perception out there is that Arsenal are a bit of a soft touch when it comes to to moving players on. I, I absolutely agree and understand that there are market issues at play. There isn't a great deal of money across Europe. Arsenal um, and other Premier League clubs as well, not just Arsenal, find it difficult to move players on to the continent because you know uh, th- that those money issues exist. But how do Arsenal change that perception of uh, being a club that will go a long way to facilitate the departure of players they don't want, even if financially it's not to their best? ends, if that makes sense. In terms
2: of the, I mean, in terms of sort of changing how you're perceived as a selling club, I, I, I think to an extent, it probably ends up, sell, com, comes down to selling players that the market as a whole, not one or two teams, but sort of the market as a whole really wants. And we, we kind of, when we always, when we talk about developing this young squad, I think we often know without saying that a moment is kind of coming down the line when a player that you have bought, maybe you've bought like this is entirely hypothetical. I'm, I'm like, hmm, do I actually say this? But entirely hypothetically, let's say Gabriel Martinelli. Let's say that, that he is a player. Entirely hypothetically, I'm saying it. Yeah, exclamation marks, underlined. <laughs> the, yeah, that yeah. you know a uh, a particularly wealthy club, a PSG, a Manchester City, or whoever mm. that they come in and go for them. These are the these are the deals that you know European football is watching, is talking about, and I think that's where your people's view of you can change. And the truth is, Arsenal haven't done that. Arsenal haven't done very many deals that make you sort of that that really dictate the market. That you know, kind of going back to the era where Vieira and Henri were wanted every summer, and Arsenal stood firm and eventually got a very high price. And I think actually, people had the sense that trying to buy a player off David Dean was like pulling teeth in the same way they would tell you now about Daniel Levy. Like y- you change your reputation as a seller when you're selling someone you don't want, you don't necessarily want to, or yeah. you're trying to extract maximum value for. I think every club in the world, even now someone like Chelsea have developed a reputation as they can't shift. I mean, maybe the only exception would be Liverpool. But mm. Liverpool's fringe players are, are fringe players in winning environments. Same with City. You know, when you're a squad that is in the top four or even higher, then everyone will look at that group of players and go, Well, you know, the second best striker at Manchester City, he must be quite good. Who's this reserve left back they've got? Um, <laughs> you know, let's let's take a look at him. I, I think really it comes down to a mixture of selling well when you, you know, when when the big money deals at the market is looking at happen, but also just <laughs> Having good players, you can't sell Lucas to Lucas Torreira feels harsh, but you can't sell him because he's not in a winning environment. Sure, I mean it, the player. It, like yeah. if Mo, if you get do a title challenge, people will be interested in Moel meni if you extend his contract by a year.
1: Yeah, yeah, the the fifty million Mohamed El Neni deal will put everything right, and we'll all bow down at the barbecue of Edu and say, "Well done." I mean, Andrew, it is, it is, it does strike me that like I get the complaints, and I get why people are concerned because Arsenal are spending a lot of money without bringing a lot of money in, and that is a situation which has consequences and ramifications and all of those kinds of things. Like maybe. The idea that, like, can we actually afford to buy Pedro Neto? Can we really push the boat out that far? You know, maybe it's not such a big issue if you've managed to get twenty-five million for Nicolas Pepe and ten million for Maitland Niles, and you know that fifteen million for Lucas Torreira uh, and everything else. But on the flip side, I'm 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 convinced that the next big sale we make will produce a lot of complaints because it's going to be a player who is good. It's going to be a player that we like. Um, and that in itself is going to cause a little bit of angst.
3: Yeah, I think you can mitigate that by planning ahead. You know, you you look at players who may end up being sellable assets and you start to bring in people behind them that can fill in the gaps and you you mm. get ahead of the situation, which we have not done for quite a few years because we didn't have... I guess, well, in the last five years, the continuity necessary in the management setup to, to be able to kind of plan more than a, you know six months in advance. Um, so, yeah, I think you have to get ahead of the situation. I mean, I'm looking now at a sort of spreadsheet with the contract situation of players for 2023, right? And mm-hmm. the ones that will be out will be Bellerin, who we expect will probably go at some point this some are on loan at least. Maitland Niles, Nelson, yeah. and El will have a, an option to extend for a year. But we're we're getting to a point now where we have to worry about things two years in advance, not six months in advance, mm. and that's a good situation. I I can easily see us getting to you know a situation where someone like a Gabriel, uh, you know, the defender Gabriel might might be a, a, a you know a very wanted target, right? You know, he's a very solid centre back. Very, very athletic, powerful. We've got all the attributes to go to a very high level. And we've also got two really good centre-backs in the team, You know, whether it's uh, Saliba, Ben White, what have you. But that's where you start to go, okay, well, if we did lose one, we've still got two really good guys and we could use that money to reinvest mm. and kind of work uh, other areas around the team as well. I mean, the, the, the strange thing for me right now is trying to get into my head that we're not really working the way that we did under Arsene, right? We're not working with a self-sustained model. We don't necessarily have to, you know, spend the money that we get in. So maybe we don't have to um, sell players as in the way that we did for a period there when the stadium was being mm. paid off, you know, at the very early stages. I know we're still paying off the stadium, but um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's really just about getting ahead of the situation. I, I The fact that there's so much kind of, unknown about where the money is coming from at the moment it makes me uncomfortable but at the same time I'm also very aware that someone inside the club (laughs) is looking at a spreadsheet with all of the numbers on it whereas I'm looking at a spreadsheet with none of the numbers on it they must know what they're doing and if the authorities the Premier League or you know UEFA aren't actually stamping down on them you'd imagine that we're doing things within the the rules and therefore everything's relatively controlled um yeah I mean it's it's sometimes hard to kind of let go and just assume that you trust people because for the last the last few years some of the people running the club haven't necessarily made the best decisions.
4: Hmm.
1: Well, yes, um, financially, do you have concerns, James? Because you know the there have been issues and worries about KSE and the Cronkies down the years, and uh, they, I think, probably a little. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? They've sort of glossed over a period where they were in control of the club, um, but have sort of reshaped the narrative, to use um, that horrible expression, to make it sound like, well, until we had 100% of the club, you know, you can only really judge us since then. And I don't think that's true, but clearly since they have had 100% control... A lot of money has been spent. And you think about big deals for uh, Nicolas Pepe. That summer when we bought uh, Pepe and Saliba and uh, Kieran Tierney. And then there was the 50 million release clause on Thomas Partey. And then there was 30 million on Gabrielle. Then we had last summer where we spent 150 million. We've had another big Net spend summer this time around as well. Gabriel Jesus, Inchenko, Fabio Vieira, Matt Turner, uh, Marquinhos has come in. And we're looking at maybe spending another 40, 50, 55, who knows, and whatever it will take to get whatever winger we're, we're bringing in.
3: And the wages as well. I mean, mm. like the wages went mad for a while.
1: Yeah. I mean, and I, I do think that they've probably worked the wage bill. In a way, like I think there's a lot of the big earners, the big, big, big earners are gone. I mean, you know, when you're bringing in someone like Gabriel Jesus, that's a guy who's going to earn a lot of money. But I think they've probably trimmed a lot off that wage bill, which gives you a little more to play around with, of course. Now, I mean, call me Mr. Cynical, if you will, but I do not think that Stan is sitting in, uh, you know, on his ranch opening up one of his many chests of gold bullion and saying, here you go, guys. You know, take this from my personal savings. The 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 money that Arsenal have spent is money that Arsenal will have to pay back, whether it's to KSE, whether it's to, you know, banks, friendly banks, perhaps. This is money uh, borrowed at, at favourable rates, if you can call it that. But do you have any concerns that, that um, you know... W- we probably don't have full insight and probably never will have full insight because of the way that the the finances work now. They can keep, they've got to register the accounts, obviously, every year as a limited company, but they don't have to go public with the accounts because there's no shareholders, et cetera, et cetera. So the kind of um, in-depth look at at the finances isn't isn't quite there, even with the best efforts of our, our good friend, Swiss Ramble.
2: Yeah, and that and the, they're not obliged to, explain them which is my way of saying I really miss those AGMs and the uh Shit. the rancor and fury <laughs> always seem to happen after three straight defeats um I, well I think it it should be cause for concern that Arsenal that, that we that we don't know as clearly that that things aren't as op- out in the open and that as you said you know we get one set of accounts a year um they're not always as... De- I don't believe they're as detailed as they used to be. And mm. they certainly could end up very swiftly becoming less detailed. We could find out less. And my expectation is that will be the, the direction of travel. You know, it's it was notable, for instance, you know, things like KSE paying off a lot of the debt and converting it into loans that are owed to KSE was... I mean, obviously there's part of you that, that worries because I, I don't think you ever kind of want to be, you know, ideally you don't want to be in debt to anyone. You don't want to be reliant on the mm. whims of Stan and Josh Crunky Having said that, you know, it is the sort of thing that a shrewd billionaire with some degree of, I mean, emotional connection is, it feels very loaded because I think we all have the sense that it's never really been good enough. They're, you know, the. the the Cronky's connection, but that someone that, well, they have a stake in it, like sure. in a way that a bank don't is maybe a better way of framing it. I think that is what you would want a good owner to do debt that, it, that, that goes kind of to the owner, a, a reasonable interest rate, a lower interest rate than what Arsenal were paying uh, Barclays. I think it was that the loan was canceled out for, but I mean, you worry people. What I've been told this summer is that the way that, things have been done this summer is how it's going to happen in the future that, you know, like, like Andrew said, we've kind of come out of the era of worrying about balancing the books and paying, paying off the stadium debt and that there will be money. You know, the exact amount will vary obviously based on all sorts of factors, but there will be money in the summers to spend maybe around this sort of level. This is the, this is the plan from now on. And this is how Arsenal are going to do things, but it's, it's not a good situation to be in. It's not a good situation for stories to come out that you're on UEFA's FFP watch yeah. list. And obviously Arsenal say, look, you know, we've not had any contact from UEFA and, um, you know, we're very confident that we'll comply with, with FFP. And I'm sure that will all be fine. Yeah, I I, I worry that, the, basically, I worry that there's not quite enough, and that it, it's hard to get clear messages of, of where this money's coming from and, and get a real sense of of what might happen if if things hit the fan hopefully things don't hit the fan they get back in the champions mm. league and and that balances out the books significantly because look this club has been struggling without that, that cash injection year in year right?
3: I was just going to say i mean obviously we know broadcast revenues continue to go up, especially on the global side of things, you know, that money is coming in and, you know, this is why we're able to see a West Ham spending 40 million quid here and there. And, you know, Mm. you know, that's, that's important. I think we have to remember that that money is that level of money is going up commercially. I feel like we're in a situation where we've lost ground on our rivals. There is a bit of me, which wonders, given that those two big deals that we have, um, with adidas and emirates uh up for a renewal in 2024 so conversations will start to be happening you know with with those companies but you have to have a successful pit uh, uh team on the pitch to be able to then you know persuade mm. them to part with even more money for you to then to be able to keep up on the commercial side of things so as we are you know speculating to accumulate a little bit on the pitch i imagine maybe there's some of that going on because you know that off it you're going to benefit as well um, but yeah, it's just, there's just lots of unknowns. There's also, a bit, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen with the Tracy Crouch report and whether anything from that will actually get implemented the way that it was suggested and whether there'll be any more kind of openness and, you know, the allowance of fans on the board and whatnot. Um, it'll be curious to see if that plays out and whether or not that gives us more insight than we have at the moment. But even then I imagine it will be a lot of, yeah.
1: You
3: know, you're allowed in this room, but you're not allowed in all of those rooms over there. You know?
1: Yeah. Yeah, you can you can wait in the hall outside the director's box, but you're not coming in here where we've got the you know, the caviar and, and uh uh, the, the gold-tinted glasses and all of that kind of stuff. I mean, the irony of Arsenal, imagine Arsenal being done for FFP <laughs> when there's <laughs> clubs like fucking Man City and PSG and everything else. It'd be absolutely crazy. Um, very finally, let me ask you f- uh, each for a prediction between um, now and the end of the, the transfer window. It can be to do with Arsenal. If you think it's um, you know one player coming in and one going out, whatever you reckon. I, I reckon we'll get one in and I think... Maitland-Niles will go. I think Hector will go towards the end. But I also think we might just get one from the uh, the group that isn't quite expected to leave that might just leave as well uh, before the end of the window. I think this last last week of the market could be a bit crazy. What do you reckon, James? I, I certainly agree with you. that I think we'll get
2: one in. Uh, that it'll be a forward. I'm not going to name it because I think Net- Neto is going to be really hard to do. I think mm. it's fair to say that. Like you say, Maitland-Niles will go. Ellerin will go. I would just keep an eye out on whether they might take a couple of flyers uh, you know around the 1 2 million pound level for players to to go in the under 23s. Just whispers I hear,
1: but we what, shall see if what, anything happens. Then. What exactly do you mean? Like a, just a sort of a a young kid who might come in and then just
2: Yeah, yeah, I think I think you know they a, a lower price point than than Chelsea who've just spent sort of 20 million on two separate players. For their their youth setup in Chukwemeka and, and the guy from Inter Milan mm. um there's a lot of competition there and a, a lot of clubs are scouring the lower leagues including Arsenal so to the, try yeah. and pick up some of these these young players at more the sort of you know this the lower seven figure range you know can we get these players in before we're paying you yeah know, Morgan Gibbs white money sure um so it wouldn't shock me to see a player or maybe even two players like that arrive that we all get very hyped about and maybe we never hear from, or maybe they're a superstar in five years' time.
1: Oh, We'll hear from them. George Bird will keep us up to date (laughs) on everything that's going on with those guys. That's for sure. Andrew, what are you ranking?
3: I think Maitland-Niles, Nelson and Bellerin will all go probably on loan. Um, But obviously just with the knowledge that they will probably never play for the club again. Mm. And I think we will recruit someone but uh, yeah I'm I'm not convinced that we're going to go I don't I'm not convinced that we're going to end up spending 50 million on on a player at this point um I feel like you know Arteta seems pretty happy with the way things are going at the moment and he may be willing to roll the dice a little bit like he did in you know January
1: Right. Well, we'll wait and see. Um, Uncle Stan is opening his second box of gold bullion as we speak, sending it this way, this side of the Atlantic, for our end of transfer window splurge. Uh, Gents, thank you very much indeed. Andrew, thank you. Thank you very much. And James Bench, thank you very much as well. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much indeed. To Andrew, you'll find him on Twitter. He is at A. Allen Sport, at A. Allen Sport. And James is at James Bench, at James Bench.
0: and Airbnb your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host life is full of what ifs some awesome like what if ai could fold your laundry and some well less awesome like what if you have unexpected medical costs
1: Right, well, that is just about that for this week's show. Mikel Arteta's press conference takes place Friday morning. I'm recording Thursday evening, so I have no news for you, no team news or anything like that. We will, of course, preview the Fulham game over on Patreon, patreon patreon.com forward slash Ars blog. Uh, Lewis and I will look ahead to the Fulham game. We'll have that podcast for you Friday afternoon. And as well, we will obviously discuss the Europa League group draw, which takes place on Friday. So we'll have that for discussion as well as the Fulham game on the preview pod on Patreon. James and I will be here on Monday this week. The schedule allows a regular Monday morning Arse Cast Extra and don't forget we've got a brand new podcast on Patreon as well called The 30 in which myself and Phil Costa do a roundup of all the Premier League news and all the games in 30 minutes. So a little bite-sized podcast chunk for you talking not so much about Arsenal but all the other teams uh, so you can join us for that. Patreon.com forward slash arsbog. Fingers crossed for the right result on uh, Saturday evening. For now thank you as always for being here. Thank you for listening thank you for your continued support in everything that we do on our blog it's hugely appreciated have yourselves a great weekend and we will catch you on the next one cheers bye-bye
4: Arsenal Football Club? Yes, this is Friedrich Twetzloch from Crippenton United Football Club. Yes, I am related to the professor. He's my brother. Anyway, we're very interested in one of your players, and we'd like to offer 15 million pounds for him, and we won't pay a penny more. 10 million, you say? And what's the catch? There is no catch. Five million? Well, I mean, you're driving a very hard bargain here, but who am I to say? A million pounds. You'll take a million pounds. Well, look, I'm not one to look a gift horse in the... You'll give us some money and pay the players' wages for the duration of his contract? No, his life. His life as a professional footballer his entire life in perpetuity you say you mean this will pass on from generation to generation until essentially the end of time well congratulations mr gaspar you've got yourself a deal